are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. In life and in death, we belong to God. That's been our theme through this Lenten season, and I'd like us to say it together. In life and in death, we belong to God. We've been remembering that and acknowledging that. The statement is at the core of our faith. And over this season of Lent, as we reflect on the reality of death and as we try to treasure anew the gift of life, even as we think about the hope of the gospel for abundant, eternal life. Lent is as good a time as any to be thinking about death and life issues. We begin with Ash Wednesday when we mark our hands or our foreheads with a little bit of ash, remembering from dust you came and dust you shall return, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Then Lent continues, and we in the Christian tradition know how the story ends with the arrest and trial and death of Jesus. And then on Easter Sunday, we celebrate resurrection, the death of the last word. Well, during this particular Lent, with our theme of in life and death, we belong to God, we've been encouraging open and honest conversation about life and death. encouraging you to talk amongst yourselves about all sorts of topics. Um, the reality that life is short and that sometimes people die long before they really should. We heard some of that last week. We've encouraged you to get your affairs in order and not wait until the doctor tells you that you have a month to live, but to live with a sense of clarity and have your financial and personal and emotional and spiritual affairs in order to be able to live life more wisely and well. We've encouraged you to talk about what's going to happen to your body when the eventuality um, of your death happens. Are you going to be cremated? Are you going to be buried? Are you thinking about organ donation? These are all things that are worthy of conversation. And what about your memorial service? Some people like to plan that out ahead of time and suggest certain scripture readings, certain music, maybe certain people who they might like to say a word at their memorial service. Some people even want to make sure a certain kind of cookie is served at the reception after the memorial service. And that's fine as well. And then finally, and maybe most importantly, you know, as we think about death and life, are you living right now with a sense of purpose? Are you living with a sense of intention and clarity? Are you living the life that you want to live? Are you living a life that you'll be proud of? Are you living the life in a way that you'll be remembered the way you want to be remembered? These are big questions. That's why we've taken five weeks to talk about them. And the conversations need to continue long past today. So we plant these seeds and hope for continued good conversations. In addition to these big questions, we've had an adult education class. I know a lot of you were involved in that, thinking about the death of Jesus and the way that we have understood that. Um, one way we understand that is Jesus died for the sins of the world but we've been learning different ways of understanding that with more social implications on the death and resurrection of Jesus. So there's a lot to learn. 
Well, today our focus for this last sermon in the series turns to the reality of grief. Grief comes to us in a variety of forms. We grieve when we lose a job. We grieve when a neighbor, uh, a good friend moves away. We grieve even when somebody graduates from school and new transitions begin in life. We grieve when a pet dies. But probably the most intense grief is when someone we know and love dies. And it happens to all of us in one way, shape, or form. There are people in the sanctuary right now who are in the midst of a deep and heavy grief. There are people who are in a season of life where the grief isn't so heavy, but we all can think of people we know, loved ones, family members, parents, grandparents who have died. The death of a loved one leaves a hole in our lives. Something vital is missing. So imagine for a minute the table in your house where you eat your meals or where you sit and do the puzzle or where you gather with friends and um, play board games. Or, you know, there's probably a central table in most of our homes. Well, what if one day you came and the table was gone? It was gone. There'd just be a big empty space there. Some people use that image to think about grief, that suddenly something vital, something central to your life is missing. And it leaves a hole. It leaves a big hole. You can go to the store and you can buy a new table. But we can't replace the loved ones in our lives. The hole remains. And the unfortunate thing is that particularly in our culture these days, we don't talk about grief very much. In fact, we actively try to avoid it. Think about, you know, you're at, you're, you're at your house and the table has disappeared and your friends come over and they saw that the table was gone, but they didn't say anything about it. They just pretended it wasn't there. Sometimes we're like that. That would be kind of strange, right? If you're used to sitting at the table and playing cards at the table and the table's not there, they're just like, oh, well, nice day, isn't it? That's kind of how we are sometimes with grief. We just, I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to pretend it's not there. And to make it even worse, when we grieve, we're sad and we want to cry. Well, tears are looked down upon in our society as well. They're seen as a sign of weakness. Some of you know that Tom Hanks movie about baseball. There's no crying in baseball, he says. Well, for too many of us, there's no crying in life. We're not allowed to cry. Men especially, it's a sign of weakness. That Why are you crying? Well... The gospel reading for today, as you heard, tells us of the story of Lazarus, including Jesus' affirmation when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those are the words that I use to open any Christian memorial service to remind us of our gospel hope. But the reading also includes the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. The newer translations say Jesus began to weep, but even then it's a short verse. I know some folks grew up in churches where you were encouraged to memorize scripture verses. Sometimes those verses were assigned, but I know people who, when they got to pick a verse, you know, pick any verse, John eleven thirty five. 35. What is that, Timmy? Jesus wept. Where's my sticker? Right? <laughs> well, actually, if you want to memorize a Bible verse, that's not a bad verse to memorize. Because it shows that Jesus, God made flesh, living among us, full of grace and truth, that Jesus, the God of the universe, 
cried when he was sad. Maybe we can learn something from that. Our scripture reading for today, John chapter 11, including that verse, John's gospel has lots of long narratives about people. We're not going to read all of John chapter 11. We're going to read a good, good chunk of it, though. Um, listen for God's word. When Jesus arrived, <clears throat> he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to Jesus, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me, and I know you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Thanks be to God for the words of Scripture. Don't cry. She's in heaven now. Why are you so sad? At peace with God. Look at him crying over there. I thought he was a Christian. Where's his faith? Over the years, I've heard statements like that many times at memorial services at reception after someone has died. And every time I it makes me cringe just a little bit. Well-meaning people trying to offer some sense of comfort and discourage people from showing too much emotion or being too sad. Telling them, don't cry, it's okay, God, God's with them now. They're with God. And well-meaning religious people who seem to suggest or think that if you're a person of faith, you shouldn't be crying because of the promise of resurrection. But the reality is, it's almost like it's two different things. You can believe in resurrection hope 
that somehow, someway, after we die, there's a heavenly reunion and this promise of resurrection. And at the same time, be sad that your loved one is no longer here. It's like two different things. We can hold both at the same time. Be sad that our loved one's no longer physically present and trust in God's abundant and eternal love. In short, it's okay to cry. Jesus cried, it's okay for Christians to cry. If you want the sermon in just a few words, you know, Jesus cried and we can too. There you go. Author Washington Irving put it well, saying there's a sacredness in tears. They're not the mark of weakness, but of power. They speak more eloquently than 10,000 tongues. They're the messengers of overwhelming grief, of deep contrition, and of unspeakable love. Tears are part of the of faith. And we need to value and, and accept those tears. As we go on the journey of grief, and we'll all go on it, we've all been on it, I guess, in some way, shape, or form. It's going to come again. We need to recognize the journey is going to be a little different for all of us. But there are maybe certain landmarks or certain arrows that, that point us in the right direction. And I want to highlight a couple of them. I've got a couple of frameworks I want to share for thinking about. Walter is one of the best-known biblical scholars of our time. And he's got this wonderful framework for the book of Psalms, a collection of 150 poems in the Bible. And some of the Psalms are Psalms of orientation. Some of them are disorientation and some are new orientation. The idea being that with the orientation Psalms, life is good. Thanks be to God. Disorientation means stuff happens, bad things happen. It's inevitable. And then the new orientation is when we've weathered the storm to some degree, in some way, shape, or form, or just endured the storm, or gone through the storm, and somehow we change and we grow. I think it's a really helpful framework for the Psalms, and it's a helpful framework for thinking about life, and particularly for thinking about grief. If we take this framework and apply it to grief, you know, orientation, hey, we've got people in our life that we love, that we care about, thanks be to God. The disorientation comes when loved ones get sick and die, and it happens. And the new orientation comes as we journey through that grief. We change, we grow. We might get more kinder, we might get more compassionate with other people who are going through grief. It doesn't mean that we just go back to where we were before and everything's fine and dandy. That doesn't happen. The hurt stays with us. But somehow, some way in this process, we change. And sometimes that's months, sometimes it's years. And then it's like the whole process kind of starts over again or another process, it, it just kind of overlap. And it's almost like going around in a circle with a sense of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation as we keep growing together. Grief is not easy. Going through a process like this is not easy. And it's something that we certainly shouldn't ignore but sometimes we do. I learned that lesson a long time ago. In college, I was one of five leaders of the Christian Fellowship Group, the University Christian Fellowship Group on the campus where I was. And a couple weeks before my junior year started, one of the other leaders, a guy named Phil, died suddenly, unexpectedly, out of the blue. He was a senior. I was shocked. I was sad. And I went into retreat. <laughs> um, 
on my own. I just stayed away from everybody. I didn't go to the memorial service. I didn't talk to my friends about it. I, wasn't, I hadn't learned how to process grief, I should say. Other friends, other leaders of the group, they went over a couple hours to New Jersey with his family, memorial service, all that. I didn't. I was too busy. <laughs> I didn't have time for that. Then a few later, there was a memorial on campus for Phil and for another who had died. I cried my eyes service and felt kind of embarrassed about it and then afterwards I was just like got to get back on track get moving didn't talk about Phil anymore just keep moving forward I look back on that now and I think I feel like I'm still grieving Phil 30 plus years later and I'm kind of grieving the grief that I didn't share at that time that I didn't process at that time I've learned a little bit since then about the importance of being intentional and being purposeful. The other framework I want to share with you today is from this little book called Good Grief. I mentioned it in the weekly email that some of you might have seen. Um, this book was written a long time ago. It's, the book is so old, it's older than I am, if you can believe something could be older than me. Um, and it's been published and republished, and it's very helpful. Some of the illustrations are a little dated, little 1950s feel to some of those illustrations, but that's okay. Um, he talks 10 stages of grief. It's really helpful to have these markers in there that maybe see ourselves. Um, he lists them as stage one, stage two, stage three, which kind of suggests that there's this orderly process, but he also says that it's not an orderly process. Anybody who's been through deep grief knows you're all over the place and you experience shock, depression, guilt, anger, sadness, sometimes all at once, sometimes one one day, one the next day, then you circle back to one, you know, the third day. It goes like that. But I think just acknowledging that these feelings are real and that we go through them and we deal with them. And it's going to happen for all of us at some point in our lives. So part of the purpose for this series is to, you know, strengthen ourselves, to prepare ourselves in some way for that time when it does come. I don't want to be pessimistic, but we all know it's true that we're going to be dealing with grief at some point in our lives. We need to take our time and work through these cycles and talk with people and share with people and cry together. And at the same time, also need to keep, even if it's just teeny little step, teeny little steps, day at a time, maybe a week at a time, to keep moving forward, to keep seeking something new and listening for something new. And we get a hint of that in the final um, two stages that he mentions in this book. He says that gradually hope comes through, and then we struggle to affirm reality. So these two stages to me suggest that there's some sort of re-engagement or maybe a new orientation, if you will, with life and with the process that we're going through. And that new orientation, as far as I can tell, involves other people. Not being isolated like I was isolated after Phil died, but engaging with other people and learning and growing and sharing together. And in the process of dealing with our grief, at some point we recognize that we're not the only one who's grieving. There are other people around us who are going through grief. The grief we have, it never fully goes away, but it does change over time. It feels different over time. And we recognize there are other people in our lives so we can somehow, some way, share this journey together and find little glimpses of hope. We find that by recognizing that we're not alone. We're not alone because God is always with us, and the promise of the Scripture tells us this. 
Psalm 23, best known chapter in the Bible. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the promise over and over and over again in Scripture that God is with us, even, especially perhaps, in our grief, in our sadness, in the valley of the shadow of death. And then the promise of the gospel, God became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ. In the last words, the, the, the final words in the gospel according to Matthew, Jesus says, remember, I am with you always, Emmanuel, God with us. God says, I will be with you always. The same God who experienced life and death and resurrection. So as we keep moving forward, we realize that we are not alone, and I think we maybe experience that presence of God in other people. We're never alone because there's always other people around us who are also grieving in different ways, but we're on this journey together. Other people might be able to help us in our grief, and maybe at some point in our grief journey, we might be able to help them. And there's some scripture that points us in that direction. Romans chapter 12. If you want to read one chapter in the Bible, I'd suggest Romans 12. And right in the middle of that, it says, weep or rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Right? What a great image. To be with people. Be present with people. If they're rejoicing, rejoice with them. If they're crying, get your tissues out. And then Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Wait, that's what it means to be a Christian? (laughs) That's that's all there is, to fulfill the law of Christ, to bear one another's burdens, to care for one another, to love our neighbors, to take care of one another in their needs when they're carrying a heavy burden to say, let me help. Let's walk this journey together. One more story. When I was in seminary a long time ago, I spent two years as an intern at the Riverdale Presbyterian Church in New York City, in the Bronx. It was a great church, a lot of great people. I was involved with youth ministry and worship and a bunch of other things. And every year, that church had a spring festival, big gathering with lots of food and music in the church parking lot and celebrating spring. Um, And there were a variety of activities there. There was one couple who was famous, I guess, in that church because every year they had a table with flowers on it, flower bulbs, and, and, you know, they were encouraging gardening and that sort of thing, and they had done this together for years. So my first year there, it was great to see this couple together at the flower table. I heard all about them and how they were sort of legendary in the church, and it was kind of cool. A few months after the first spring festival that I attended, one of the two of them died. So the next spring festival is coming. And the man is sitting at the table by himself um, without his wife by his side. As I approach the table, I remember thinking, everything in me is thinking, or as I was near the table, like, don't talk to him. (laughs) Stay away. Don't bring up the subject of his wife, whatever you do. Don't just avoid at all costs. But at the same time, I had been taking a class in pastoral care at seminary, which was encouraging us to talk with people in 
grief and encourage them and give them space to share and to talk about their grieving experience. So on the date of my second Spring Festival, despite everything in me, my male New England introverted Presbyterian heritage that was screaming at me, avoid difficult subjects at all costs, I went up to the table, had some small talk, and at some point said something like, I bet you miss your wife. Or how long have you and your wife been doing this? It was just some sort of like, it was almost like casting, casting a line in the water to see if he would nibble. I was terrified when I did that. But he got sort of this twinkle in his eye, and I don't remember the specifics of the conversations, but he did talk about his wife for quite a while. There were some tears, there was some laughter. And, you know, thinking about it rationally, of course he's thinking about his wife. You know, part of me is like, I don't want to remind him of his wife. Of course he's thinking about his wife. They sat at that table for decades. And he seemed almost grateful that someone had acknowledged her presence. You know, most of us would just walk around and let's, let's not talk about it. You know, I've done that too many times in my life. Bottom line is, I think it's okay to gently, graciously ask people about their loved ones who have died. It's quite possible they might say, I don't want to talk about it. And then you zip it, then you start talking about the weather or the Packers or whatever else. But maybe they will. Maybe they will want to share a memory or two. And maybe we all need to start talking more about our own grief experiences as well. Losing a loved one is hard. It's really hard. We need to help each other. We need to weep with those who weep. We need to cry together. And we need to keep moving forward, baby steps, one day at a time, on this journey of faith, trusting in the promise of Scripture like the promise of Isaiah 25, this wonderful image. The time will come when the Lord wipes away the tears from all the faces, and it will be said, this is the Lord for whom we've waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Let us pray. Loving God, thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for the precious and wonderful gift of life. Thank you that we're here. Thank you for today. Even with the snow and everything else outside, thank you for the gift of life. Help us as we make this journey together through life to comfort and support one another in challenging times. Help us to remember that your love is with us always. Help us to live as people of hope, people of resurrection hope, people trusting in new and abundant life that begins right here and right now and goes on forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.